G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Deb Hopper has been an occupational therapist for 20 years and is the founder of Life Skills for Kids based on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. She helps children overcome sensory and emotional issues and empowers their families to deal with the stresses of their day-to-day lives. Join us today as we explore the different kinds of anxiety and some practical skills we can learn to manage each of them. I'm Brett Ryan, and you're listening to Focus on the Family Australia. Well, welcome to the program, Deb. Thanks for having me, Brett. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm a mum and wife. I have a tween and a teenager. And so I've seen anxiety come and go throughout their childhood. And I think it's important to understand that anxiety is normal for children and it's a way of building resilience. Mm -hmm. So as a child, I experienced moderate to severe anxiety Mm -hmm. and that wasn't picked up, diagnosed and treated. And that is something I'm really finding in talking to adults, especially parents of kids who are anxious that they didn't identify until their 30s or 40s that they were anxious. Really? Yeah. So it's really, you know, from my own personal experience as a child and now my kids and talking to other parents, I'm really passionate about helping people to understand, you know, what is anxiety, how we can pick it up and how we can help those kids who are four, five, six, sixteen, 16 so that they can be treated earlier than so- what. When you said that your anxiety was undiagnosed, what type of symptoms were you exhibiting? So when I was in year three or four, I used to fake being sick. I used to get the hot water bottle and fake the temperature by putting the thermometer on the hot water bottle. Yeah, I used to, you know, pull my hair or twirl my hair quite a lot. And when I was a teenager, I was just tired all the time. And my dad was a bit worried that I was physically sick, perhaps. Yep. But looking back, it was anxiety. Really? And then so what enabled you to get through that? Is it because you're now passionate and helping others, has that helped you process your own anxiety? Absolutely. To be honest, I've been to a Christian counsellor, which was really helpful in helping to process that. Well, we all need help from time to time, and it's actually a sign of strength rather than a weakness to go and get help. We can all do with some help, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, helping parents help their children navigate this anxiety, but also helping themselves. So give us an idea of the extent of anxiety here in Australia at the moment. Yeah, I have noticed in my 22 years of being an OT that the referrals have changed I used to get referrals to handwriting, kids who were clumsy and uncoordinated. But in the last 18 years, the referrals, and it's not because I've gone out asking for referrals or advertising my change of practice, but I have been getting kids who are anxious. Kids who have been referred from the adolescent and child mental health units 
you know, it's not right that we're seeing referrals for 10 and 12-year-olds who need that treatment. Mm. And that has been a big change. And that's not just me. That's, you know, feedback from other professionals as so well. So this, this is a growing trend. And so... Yeah. Do you have any statistics to back this up? Because we know it anecdotally. Yeah. What is actually happening in our culture today? Yeah. So Beyond Blue has lots of great stats that you can look up. But I gather that a couple of them. Half of all the mental health conditions we experience at some point in our lives have started by age 14. And that's quite confronting too. 13.9% mm. of children aged between 4 and 17 met the criteria for our diagnosis of a mental disorder in the last 12 months. Like 14%, wow. that's like two or three in every classroom who yeah. are diagnosed. And that you think about four-year-olds in preschool, that is just devastating. Of those kids, 6.9% aged four to 17 have suffered from an anxiety disorder. Wow. That's not kids who are worried about something. That is kids who have a diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. And like it's you, there'll be some people that were undiagnosed in this. Mums and dads intuitively know that there's something not quite right, but this is actually maybe helpful for parents to say they are not alone because there's others going through this and they can get through this with the right help and the right diagnosis and the right treatment. Yes. And you know, if we think of almost 7% of children being diagnosed with anxiety, the stats for adults is that that goes up to like 14 or 15% of 16 to 85-year-olds who have experienced anxiety disorder in the last 12 months. So it's double. Kids who are diagnosed with anxiety, they can become anxious adults. So it's really, really an issue. Yeah. And that's not talking about depression or having thoughts of self-harm. Yeah. So just even just anxiety alone, it's on epidemic proportions. So what does this anxiety look like? How does it exhibit itself? And you mentioned some of the things, what you did, mm. what could it look like in a child, for example, or an adult for that matter? What could it look like? Yeah. So avoiding new things is something that is a good sign for kids. Kids who don't want to go to birthday parties, kids who don't want to go to soccer, or, you know, try new dancing or karate class. Avoiding things, but especially avoiding new things, yeah. is a really big one. Kids who are really distressed by normal changes, like changes in routine, changing from school to the school holidays, back to school, changes in the routine during yeah. the day. For example, if you pick the kids up from school and you say, got to pop to the shops on the way home, and that wasn't the plan before school... Kids can really get distressed by that yeah. change of plan. Kids who highlight the negative. So glass half empty kids. Yeah. Who, life just is really, really hard. Mm. Kids who ask too many questions. <laughs> that is a really big red flag. What are you doing on the weekend, mum? <laughs> what are you doing tomorrow morning? What about tomorrow afternoon? What movie are we going to watch Saturday night? Is All that just because questions. they're fearful of the unknown and they just like to know what's going on to reduce yeah. their... So they don't even realise what they're doing as well. So it could be a subconscious anxiety. Absolutely. Yeah, mm. definitely. That's a really big red flag. Yeah. Kids who complain of a sick tummy. You know, I don't want to go to school, Mum. <laughs> yeah. We call, you know, house diarrhoea, we call it the wiggly poos. Yeah. You know, Mum, I've got the wiggly poos today. <laughs> That's, like, a good, okay, well, that's a good what description. Do you have coming up today, do you have a test? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's probably why, because you're worried about it. Yeah. But the children just notice that they're feeling sick. 
Oh, very much so. I mean, so those physiological symptoms of tummy pains, headaches, biting yep. their fingernails, all of these things are little Food triggers. Color. Yeah, and yep. kids who maybe even put their tongue in their lips, and I've seen that they can get like red marks around their lips is significant because they're licking their lips all the time. And so if that's what they're exhibiting, what are they saying about their symptoms? Unless they Google it mm-hmm. and say, I've got anxiety, what are they thinking and what they might be saying? Yeah. So a big thing is I don't want to. I'm too tired. Because kids who are anxious, they give everything to cope. Yeah. Um, so they know they're going to be tired after school because they're holding it all together at school. And that's one reason why often the teacher says, no, little Johnny's great at school. And the parents go, oh, my goodness. Yeah. He has the biggest meltdowns when he gets back. Because that, um, that's the home is the haven. They behave yes. a certain way away from home, but then they come home. And unfortunately, mum or dad is the brunt of their tantrums or they're exhibiting because they're just overwhelmed with holding things in and they just blurt it all out. Absolutely. That comes back to the attachment as well. Even between behaviour exhibited between mum and dad, if the child feels safer with the dad, for example, then they may show those negative behaviours more with dad than with mum. Right. And then if you add a blended family or a, a separated family, that would actually also increase their anxiety as well. Yeah, and when we talk about strategies, we'll talk about having the routine written out somehow. Mm. Um, So when children are going between different households, they need to know what days of the week they're going to be with mum and what days they're with dad. Yeah. So all of these symptoms by themselves, you know, one or two of them, occasionally, which we all go through, the wiggly poos, as you said, we all have from time to time anxiety that, can be helpful because we know that we can overcome them. So when does it become a problem? When should mum and dad be a little bit more concerned and need to be more proactive? So anxiety in some kids can be constantly present and it can appear as an irrational fear of things that are familiar. But when it's not just a coping mechanism, but like an everyday occurrence, Mm. then it can be really disabling. So the problem really arises when the stress that the child's experiencing begins to interfere with their daily functioning, you know, not being able to do the things that they want or need to do. Yeah. So for kids who are very anxious, you know, I've gone to clients' homes who are anxious and the goal is to get them to school. Yeah. So the goal is to, you know, give them those strategies, whether that's breathing, whether that's writing a social story about feeling safe in going to school, trying to work out why they feel unsafe at school. One boy that I work with, he interprets the voice of his teacher, which is loud, but it's not yelling or unnice. Yeah. But he interprets that raise in volume as he's in trouble. Yeah. So it's really talking to the child and really trying to figure out what is it? Is it the bell he perceives as being too loud and he just has that fight or flight response whenever yeah. he hears the bell? This, yeah. It's when kids can't do what they need to do, you know, kids who don't want to go to birthday parties, kids who don't want to have a friend over for a play date or hangout date. Yeah. So what is taking place in a young person's brain, if not an adult's brain at the same time, but what's going on in their brain? In the middle of the brain, we have the amygdala and the limbic system, which is responsible for the emotions. 
and the control of emotions in our brain. And then if you think about at the front of that, where our forehead is, there is the frontal cortex or the frontal lobe, and that's like the boss. It's like where we get a plan together. You know, when we create our to-do lists for the day, that's our frontal lobe working really well, getting a plan together. And if we can imagine having like a ladder or a staircase between the limbic system and the frontal lobe, when that's really strong and solid and working well, then the limbic system can access the plan and the frontal lobe can send the plan down to the emotions to say, it's okay, you got this covered. Right. <laughs> but when our emotions get a bit overactive, when we get anxious, when we get worried about things or stressed, the staircase between those two parts of the brain gets a bit shaky or might even disconnect. And that's when kids might go into what we might call like a meltdown. Yeah. It's when we feel overwhelmed at work mm. and we don't know what to do next. So what we need to do is in our own lives as adults is to make sure that we can keep our frontal lobe and our plan front of mind and keep our emotions calm and organized. Yeah. So, so that's basically- when, you know, looking at strategies for de-stressing like, you know, deep breathing or moving or going to the gym, they're really important because they help to calm the limbic system and they shore up that staircase between the emotional center and getting the plan together. And that's the beauty of how God created us and how everything is intertwined. And if we look after our bodies and we do yeah. that well it can actually have a, a ripple effect on our health, on our mental health, our emotional health, our relational health, our psychological health. So we have to look after this body of ours. It's a temple. But for a child, there's a disruption in their brain chemistry or there's something going on. How can we support children with anxiety? So we really need to support children through having routines, through knowing what's coming up. And we need to, I guess, guide them into doing activities that perhaps are more active than Mm -hmm. they are at present. We need to help them to understand that, you know, when they go for a walk or when they do some kids' Pilates or stretching before bed, that that's going to help to calm their emotions and calm their mind. That's good. Or, you know, doing some breathing. It's teaching them that we can have some control over changing how we feel about things. Our guest today is Deb Hopper, an occupational therapist and author of the book Teaching Kids to Manage Anxiety. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. Deb Hopper has been an occupational therapist for 20 years and is the founder of Life Skills for Kids based on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. She helps children overcome sensory and emotional issues and empowers their families to deal with the stresses of their day-to-day lives. Deb, you said we have to breathe. Aren't we doing that already? <laughs> Isn't that stating blatantly obvious? What do you mean by breathing? Is that controlling our breaths and, and being more intentional and being more aware of our breathing? 
Yeah, when we breathe, we are normally only breathing half of what we need to. So we need to stimulate the diaphragm. And one way you can do that, if you put your hands around the rib cage, and you can do this lying down or, or sitting up, but if you just do three breaths and just breathe in and out, when you breathe, you are often breathing in through your shoulders. Mm-hmm. And if you then put your hands back on your ribs and do three breaths, but push the rib cage down towards the pelvis, do that for three times, and then breathe again, you will notice that you have engaged the diaphragm and you're doing more um, what they call umbrella or belly breathing. Yeah. And that deeper breath sends that message up to the limbic system that the world is much better yeah. <laughs> and much safer. Yeah. That intentionality yeah. is so good. And there'd be some people saying, well, that's a bit of mumbo-jumbo, isn't it? Isn't that just, you know, modern science and what have you? But for those who have got a faith, it doesn't mean that they're not going to be immune to go through anxiety. It's not going to be immune from mental health issues. If we apply how God wants to allow us the privilege of looking after this body, those intentionalities are actually saying, hey, God, I thank you so much for this body. I thank you for what you've given to me and I'm going to look after it. And if I can be more intentional and maybe breathing is something that I can control. And for a child, this is such a valuable thing just to say, hey, I can see you're going to get out of hand. I can see your anxiety leveling up. Hey, why don't we do your breathing exercises? It actually grounds them. Is that correct? Absolutely. And I guess, you know, when we are looking at supporting people's anxiety, kids and adults, if we can look after our body side as well as our thinking side. So, for example, I was working with a child recently, you know, parents are pastors. And so we could use the faith-based approach as well as the body approach. Yep. And so she would write down her worries from the day. She would put them inside a balloon, lower balloon, which again is the breath. And then she could let that balloon go and visualize that balloon going up to God to look after. Yeah, that's beautiful. And a great imagery for kids to share their concerns, share their burdens. And part of that is actually saying, God, I can't do it alone. I need you as part of the solution and the solution when we're going through our tough time, especially when it comes to anxiety. Yeah, it's so important. And I think it really strengthens everything that we can do um, what are some of the reasons for the different types of anxiety? You know, some kids thrive in school. Other kids have a learning anxiety. What does that look like? Yeah, look, there's many reasons why kids struggle at school. And we need to look at those underlying reasons. So kids who have ADHD, they struggle with attention. They may struggle with visual perception, so being able to pick out words from the whiteboard. I was going to say blackboard. From the whiteboard. Uh, the smartboard to copy it down. You know, there's so many, there's auditory processing difficulties. There's so many difficulties related to learning. So yeah. we need to seek out professionals who can help with that assessment, whether that's psychology, OT, speech pathology, and really figure out where kids are at. But, you know, just think about those kids who have been failing at school, you know, even in year three, for three or four years, They try their very best, but they keep on failing. It's not surprising that they develop some kind of learning anxiety because they just can't succeed. Yeah. I'd imagine that that used to happen more often years ago where a lot of kids were dealing with dyslexia or auditory Mm -hmm. processing disorder. 
ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, or either ASD, which is on the autism spectrum yeah. disorder. There's a lot of variety of things that are going on, and they may have been undiagnosed or underdiagnosed years ago, but fortunately, through advancement, we're much more aware of some of the issues, and we can help give them some keys to dealing with their anxiety and equipping them. And with God's help and wisdom as we navigate that, and mums and dads, if you're listening to this and your child is going through anxiety, you know, we need professionals to come along. God is there every step of the way, but we also have to allow the professionals to do what they have been ordained to do. And and God's using these experts. You talked about learning anxiety. What about sensory anxiety? What does that look like? Yeah, so that's on the sensory overload is beyond the child's ability to cope with it. So, for example, the story I tell of a child who was three at the shopping centre just before Christmas, they heard Santa come along with his bell. So he really noticed that. He found that distressing. He put his hands over his ears, and we see that a lot with kids these days. So he found that uncomfortable, whereas his parents didn't even notice because of the difference in the sensory makeup, I guess. Yeah. So then a few days later, he was at kinder gym and the teacher said to him, Santa's coming. He remembered that sensory... Overload. It was almost traumatic for him. He sat there on the big gym mat for seven minutes after they had said Santa's coming, anticipating that noise that he found way too hard at the shopping centre so Santa arrived, he's still there in like a, a fetal position with his hands over his ears and Santa didn't have a bell <laughs> this time, but he had remembered that stress, that freeze response yeah. um, because it was all too hard for him. So that can happen with any of the senses. That can happen with, you know, kids who hate the feel of the sand at the beach, for example. Mm. You just mentioned going to the beach and they have a meltdown. Yeah. So we need to really help kids to understand this and be kind and compassionate to them. We need to help them reframe it. We need to help give them strategies. It's like, we're going to go to the beach. It's okay. I'll take the biggest towel. You can sit right in the middle. <laughs> That's Next good. They can be on the beach. <laughs> That's good. I mean, you mentioned the word just being kind. I think this is such a great and valuable lesson for all people, when they see a child in a shopping centre or at a school or in a the beach or on holidays, you know, holding their hands over their ears or losing the plot. And a lot of people would just tend to say, oh, if that was my kid, I'd snap it out of them. But we have to be more sensitive and more understanding that we don't know what's going on in that kid's world and their anxiety levels is increased. And that includes social anxiety, you know, like they don't want to be with others and they want to be with mum or dad and cling to them. And that's another anxiety, isn't it? Absolutely. And part of that social anxiety is they may not be sure about what to do. If you really break down the tasks or the steps of how to talk to a friend, um, so pretend we're in the same room, Brett, and there's like three other people sitting in the same office. If I was to come over and talk to you, I'd need to choose who to talk to. Yeah. I'd need to walk over, coordinate my body. I have to orientate my body. I'd have to face you, not be too close, not be too far away. <laughs> I'd need to smile and nod at the right time. Yeah. Look at you, have eye contact, say hello, have that self-regulation to wait for an answer, to listen and look back and forth. <laughs> And even coming up with what to say can be really, really stressful. So it's really, really complex. 
And that's not even until we try and figure out what their emotions are. Yeah. Like, are they happy with what they're saying? Are they bored? <laughs> Do they want to leave the conversation? Some kids, just, they can't pick these up, especially kids on the autism spectrum disorder. Yeah. So then that's, yeah. that's a, a great lesson. Even they, they may need to have a disorder or a diagnosis, but they might be anxious because of social anxiety. Mums and dads need to equip our kids and give them a narrative to know how to have a conversation and what's the body language they should do. They're just little things. And if you can do some role playing with them, they will become more comfortable and more confident and their anxiety will reduce. Absolutely. I had an example of doing this with a girl who was in year five at the time, I think. And we had to talk through with her, I think we did it for like five sessions perhaps every week, the plan for her speech. So we brainstormed it, we mapped that out, we wrote the speech, but then we figured out the social part of it. So in her cue cards, we would have like an asterisk for look up and smile. <laughs> Just simple. Yeah, that's great. But then she would felt more yeah. confident at the end of it. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, and that's not kids on the spectrum. You know, I've done it with my kids as well. Yeah. Because it's a skill that we all have to learn. Very much so. Well, unfortunately, we run out of time. Could you join us with another time? Because I really like to talk about some of the anchors for a, a second of you. Would that be okay with you? Absolutely. My pleasure. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we hope you tune in again with us as we unpack this such an important topic on anxiety. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. That was Deb Hopper an occupational therapist with an organisation called Life Skills for Kids. We'd encourage you to go to that website. She's an author. Her book is called Teaching Kids to Manage Anxiety. And if we at Focus on the Family can be of any service to you, we've got a host of different resources on our website, which is families.org.au. I'm Brett Ryan, and we look forward to you tuning in again for another edition of Focus on the Family Australia. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.